was pretty positive you guys would have a lot to talk about when we talked about what you got in trouble for when you were a kid. Uh, I, I know you guys a little bit. Uh, I'm super excited to be back with you. My name's Ben, I'm your pastor, and uh, yeah. And if you haven't been around for the summer, what we've been doing over the summer uh, is we are a part of a larger family of churches. And so Grace, we are one of seven campuses, six in Georgia area, one in Washington, D.C. And we are continuing to pray and dream about where God is sending us next to multiply out this movement of the Holy Spirit and this movement of the gospel. And so over the summer, what we did was each of the campus pastors traveled to all the other uh, campuses and spent some time with their team. And so you guys got to hear from a bunch of the other campus pastors over the summer, and I was traveling uh, to all the other campuses and sharing about what God is doing here in Marietta and about what we value as a church. So we spent the whole summer talking about these kind of aspirational values of who we want to become. And now we're going to jump into this series on Acts. And Acts is about rediscovering the church. It's, it's, it's the beauty of, this is the launching of the church. This is the start of the church. And so all of our values are fleshed out in Acts, right? The way that we live and operate and operate, like the reason we're doing backpacks, the reason we're doing back to school parties, the reason we're praying for one another, the reason we're worshiping, the reason we're teaching, the reason that we even gather together on Sundays, the reasons we do house churches, the reasons we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, all of those things are fleshed out in the book of Acts. And so we're gonna take a deep dive into Acts. You guys are gonna get tired of Acts because we're gonna be there probably into next year. We're just gonna go, we are an exegetical teaching church. We just walk through verse by verse through the Bible. And so we're gonna do that as long as it takes for us to journey through Acts. And so today we're starting in Acts chapter one, verse one. And if you have a Bible, you can pull it out. If you don't, we'd love to put one in your hand. And so we've got some Bibles in the back. Just raise your hand and we will give you a Bible that you can work through today. And if you wanna keep that Bible, you can hang on to that Bible. On our website, it says this. It says, we are a modern day expression of an early church movement. And what that means is we are trying to contextualize what God did in Acts into our present day life. So what we wanna do is we wanna look at how God planted the church. We wanna look at how the apostles and the disciples launched what they launched in Acts, how they did what they did. What were their leadership structures? What were the things that they did? How did they operate? And the way that we read the Bible oftentimes is we read what it says, but we don't pay attention to what they're doing. And so we believe around here that the Bible is where we go to look at how do we live. So we don't wanna just pay attention to Jesus's red letters and memorize the words that he said. We wanna actually learn to put on flesh of Jesus's words and become the words of Jesus to our community. We wanna become the word of God made flesh. Teachers, we want you to become that in your communities, in your classrooms. Students, we want you to become that as you're walking through the halls and as you're hanging out in the cafeteria. We want you to put on flesh of who God is. And so as we dive into Acts, we're putting flesh on our values. Does that make sense? We're, we're looking at this and saying, okay, if this, because sometimes this is what we do with values. We kind of come up with a value. We're going to be this. And we put it on the wall, right? We can put little stickers. We can put it on the bulletin. Um, we could say it over and over and over again, but we don't really know what it means. It's an aspirational value. 
And our values are not supposed to be who we want to become. Our values are supposed to be who we are. Does that make sense? So it's not an aspirational thing where we'd like to become a church that makes disciples. We'd like to become a church that cares about the nations, neighborhoods, and next generation. It's that this is the core value of who we are. So it's rooted in all that we do. And so I'm super excited about journeying through Acts because what we see in Acts is a handing off of the mission from Jesus to his disciples. So Jesus journeyed with his disciples for three years. He, in, he, he taught them everything that he was doing. He taught them how to teach as he taught, how to pray as he prayed, how to live as he lived, how to operate and do miracles in the same way that he did. And then what he did was he handed off the ministry to his disciples. He handed it off to the church. And that's us today. That handoff still exists today, and God's people are still all over the world trying to sort out and contextualize how do we live into God's mission together. So if the Gospels are about how do we live individually into the calling that God has for us, Acts is about how do we live into the calling of God communally, right? How do we do that together Because what we see in the Gospels is we see Jesus teaching the disciples to act and do the things that he did. What we see in Acts is the disciples teaching us how to communally act and live as they did. So incredibly important for us as a new church in the community trying to figure out who are we going to be, how are we going to live, what are we going to do, what are we going to value, how do we care for each other, how do we teach the word, how do we pray, what do we do on Thursdays, right? All of these things, we want to flesh this out with the word of God in Acts, understanding that Jesus is inviting every single one of us to make the same move the disciples made, and that is a move from being spectacular spectators where we watch what Jesus does to being participants where we participate in the redeeming work of our Lord in this world and in our daily lives. So we believe without a shadow of a doubt the job of the church is not to do things for you. It's to equip you to do the work of God in your everyday life. And so I love it that we gather on Sundays, guys. I love it that we're worshiping together. Worship was amazing this morning, right? I love that we got a full room again, right? I love that school's getting ready to start. I love that there's a lot of, we're doing a back to school party. I love everything that happens here on this site. But I want you to know that what happens on this site is not the purpose of the church. Our goal is not to fill the seats, to get more tithes, to build bigger buildings. Our goal is to radically transform Cobb County. That's our goal, that's our vision, and we wanna do that by becoming the people of God together. So there are things that we can accomplish together that we can accomplish individually. That's why we tithe, that's why we give. Right? We don't just give so we could buy a new light to put up on the back of the church. We give so that together we can live into the mission of God. This summer, we, we, we did $6,000 worth of scholarships so that kids in Cobb County could come and spend a week hearing about Jesus and being loved and cared for by our community. And that's because we have all given together, right? I don't have $6,000 sitting in my back pocket that I could do with that. But all of us together, right? We can do these things together that we couldn't do on our own. That is the vision of the church, and that's where we're headed. It's the move from being just a spectator to being a participant. 
And I just want to be honest that American culture teaches us to be spectators. The American version of the church teaches us that the way we choose a church is we choose the one that has the the best songs that we like to hear, that has the guy that stands up and teaches a message that I wanna hear. They've got the greatest coffee that we can drink. They've got very comfortable seats. They've got all these things. And we've got a little bit of that stuff, right? Uh, We got a little bit of that. But here's the thing. We don't wanna pick a church because of what the church does for us. We wanna pick a church that teaches us to do for others. We want to become a church that's not about consumerism, that's not about what can you do for me. It's not about showing up on Sunday mornings and looking at the the professional Christians and saying, wow me. It's about us gathering together week after week, looking at the beauty of the Holy Spirit, looking at the beauty of God and asking him together, where are you sending us? What are you doing within us? How do we wow the community with your love and your mercy and your grace? And so we become together. And that's a huge shift for the way the American church operates. And so listen, I love every single one of you in the room. I am so thrilled that you are here with us today. But my heart for you is not that you sit for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings and listen to me talk. I won't talk for an hour and a half, but, but like that you sit here for the whole service. My heart for you is that you find the full and abundant mission of God in your life and you get to live that out seven days a week, right? Doing church on Sunday is great, but I'd much rather us be a seven day a week operation. I'd much rather us be leaning in. And so we have to understand that we don't learn from spectating. You just don't learn from it. So here's the truth. And this is a really hard thing for me to say as a preacher. You will remember 10% of what you hear. Sociologists will teach this over and over again. So by the time you leave here today, you'll be lucky, and that's if it's a good communicator. So I'm like maybe above average, right? So you got, maybe maybe we're at 60 or 70% when I'm talking. But you'll remember like, you'll remember like six to 10%, that's it. That's all you're gonna remember. There's no more than that. You'll remember 20% of, of what you hear. Uh, and, and 30% visually. So when you see something, which we're gonna do in a few minutes, when you see something, you'll remember about 30% of it. Uh, when, but here's what happens. When you stand up and teach yourself, you remember about 70% of what you taught. And when you actually participate in the activity, when you're doing, you remember 90% of what you do. And so we actually have a model in the church that says, Come and listen, and you're only gonna remember 10%. And so we've gotta figure out how do we become a community that doesn't just spectates, because we don't even learn that way, but how do we participate? How do we step into the rest of the week? So uh, my boys are 16 and 14, which is a blessing and a curse at this time in my life. Uh, And one of the great blessings of them being 16 and 14 is I've got a few years where I don't have to cut the grass. Right, I have slave labor in my house, and they owe me big time. Right, your kids owe you big time. And so, what? Here's what happened. A few years ago, my kids started to learn how to cut the grass. And there's mom was really afraid that there was going to be like a foot that was chopped off or, or those types of things. And so, I didn't just hand them the mower and say go. There was a journeying into cutting the grass. And so, it started with this principle of I do, you watch. Right? And so I started cutting the grass, 
And I was like, you're gonna stand right there and you're gonna watch how I cut the grass. And I made them stand there and watch me cut the grass. It was probably the worst part of cutting the grass for them, right? Was I just have to stand there and watch dad because we don't want feet chopped off. I don't want them um, cutting the neighbor's yard. I don't want them like leaving giant chunks in our yard. And I would stop the mower occasionally and say, all right, I'm getting right on this edge and I want you to watch how I go right along this edge, all right? Then what happened was it was I do, you help. So I did some of the grass, but I would have them do like the, like if there's a straight streak that's real easy, I'd be like, you do this part, all right? And then what happened, it was you do, I help, all right? And so they did most of the yard, but there's a couple little tricky parts in our yard where you gotta get close to the edge and you gotta kind of lift the mower or do tricky things. Our backyard is a mess because there's all kinds of things going on back there and our kids like to spray all our grass inside our pool. Uh, and so I was like, let me do this part so that we don't put all the grass in the pool uh, and let's, you know, let's journey together through this. And then the day came, guys. The day came, it was about four years ago where I released Cole and I was like, buddy, you're cutting the grass and it is you do, I drink lemonade, right? <laughs> that is what's happening. And so for the last four years, my yard has been cut and I occasionally have to give some pointers. I occasionally have to say, this is what we're doing. But the, the reality is, is they're doing it. They're doing the work. This is exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. This exact journey, if you read through the Gospels, the Gospels begin with Jesus doing all the work. And then it begins with him inviting his disciples to, to help. So it's still, I'm doing and you're gonna help. And then it moved from, uh, you do and I'm gonna help where they were doing a lot of the works. Jesus was sending out the 72. He was asking them to heal. He was asking them to pray. He was asking them to teach. He was asking them to do miracles. And then what happens in Acts is it becomes, you do, I cheer. Jesus sent his disciples into the world and said, you're gonna do it now. You're going to live into this stuff. You're gonna be the carriers of my mission and you're the ones who are gonna accomplish the work. The mission has been handed over to you. So Acts chapter one, verse one, it starts with this. In my former book, so the writer of Acts is Luke. So Luke is actually, or Acts is actually part two of Luke. Right? So if you, the Bible is not written chronologically. So we oftentimes will read the Bible believing that it's written chronologically. It's not written chronologically. And so Acts is actually part two. And he, he's addressing this man named Theophilus. Now Theophilus is a wealthy benefactor. And what would happen in biblical times is oftentimes if somebody wanted a research book put out or a history book put out or wanted someone to record what had happened, the benefactor would pay a writer, kind of like a, like a copyright, you know, or like a, um, what do they call it? Eh, not a ghostwriter, but yeah, we'll get there. Right? Publishing company, that's what it is. Like a publishing company. They would say, you're gonna go write this, right? So you're gonna go write this thing and we're gonna pay you to do it and here's the money to go do it. And so he's writing on behalf of Theophilus, um, which is a good gig if you can get it, right? And he says, I wrote about Jesus and, and all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so what he's saying is, this is part two. This is a continuation of the journey. And what I've written to up to this point is what Jesus did with you. And now I'm going to write about what you did when Jesus was in heaven. 
right? I'm going to talk about something new. Verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Luke is kind of setting up. Remember in the end of my gospel when we talked about this, this is what's happening right now. He's bringing us up to speed with where we are in the story. Right? It's kind of like when you start a new episode of TV and they show the flashback to the last episode so that you can catch up on what's happening. Same thing going on here. This is what's happening. Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is coming and be patient. And, and here's what's happening. The disciples have had this radical transformation experience. They've had this radical discipleship experience. Their lives have been changed, and there's been something that's radically changed them. And here's the challenge for us in the church. Sometimes we know what we've been saved from, but we don't know what we're saved to. So the disciples have a keen awareness of what they've been saved from. They've been saved from the grip of sin. Right? They've been saved from their own wounds and their own brokenness. They've been saved from trying to do life on their own and operate in their own strength and in their own power. But the question that comes next for a mature believer is, what have I been saved to? So what does it mean now to live now that I've been saved? Just a few years back, we watched all the news channels over and over and over again to see this story of the Chilean miners that were trapped. You guys remember this? Right, so we just saw the story of these kids that were trapped in a cave in Thailand. But this was a story that happened, I believe it was around 2010, this happened. There were 33 of them, and they were trapped in this cave. And the whole world kind of watched with eager anticipation to see. And everybody began to bring their resources, and everybody began to figure out, how do we rescue these men from this cave? And I, I, I still remember the day, right? I remember the day when we watched the news and we started seeing one by one, these men come up out of the cave, hug their families, be loved on. They put a camera in their faces and they were completely shell-shocked and didn't know what to do. But, but what happened was around four years later, around 2014, one of the news stations did a story on the Chilean miners now. Where are they now? And they said this during the news story. They said they have been rescued, but were they really saved was the question that they asked. And they started to tell the story. And one of the men started to tell his story. And he started talking about how after he left the mines, he didn't have a job anymore. And so he's been living on this $300 a month pension that he got. And he's having a really hard time figuring out how to pay the bills, how to make ends meet, how to buy food, how to care for his family, all of these things. He said about two or three years after coming out of the mine, his marriage started to unravel and he got a divorce. One of the men actually committed suicide. About 80% of the men are going through major, major therapy because they have dreams and flashbacks and pain and fear anytime they're around water of any sort. And this man said this. He said, I've, I've, I've dealt with this major psychological damage. I've got all these bills to pay. I don't have a job anymore. And he said this phrase, I'm alive, thanks to God. That's the important thing. But I should be doing 
better. And I wonder how many of us have been radically rescued by the love of Jesus. We've been saved from our sin. We've been saved from our past. We've been saved from something, but we don't know what we're saved to. And so we live a life where we live and we ask the question, I think I should be doing better. I've experienced the grace and mercy. I've experienced the hope. The hope of heaven is out in front of my life. But right now, today, I think I should be doing better. For many of us, we've been saved, but we've not been redeemed. And there's an opportunity for us to step into the life that God God has for us. There's a way for us to lead and live in such a way where we can be radically transformed. This is my story. I grew up in like a, 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 a church in Dayton, Ohio, right, which is a terrible place. Don't ever visit there. It's a terrible place, right? I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and as I'm living in Dayton, Ohio, I'm going to this church, and when I hit high school, high school and junior high kids in the room, when I hit high school, I got in my youth group, and I had always heard about Jesus. I'd listened about Jesus. My parents had talked about Jesus, but my faith never became real until I started living in community with other high school students that loved Jesus. And as I was growing up in this youth ministry, there was a, there was a youth group of about 50 of us. And about 20 of those young men in that youth group went on to full-time Christian ministry. Because God just got a hold of our hearts in such a way that said, our job is not just to hang out at youth group. God's actually calling us to do something big with our life. He's actually inviting us into something new and fresh. There's a life that's better. There's a life that's full. There's a life that's abundant. There's a life that's good, that's out there. But here's what happened. I went to college. And when I went to college, all of my friends weren't there. When I went to college, my youth minister, who was like my mentor and my disciple maker, was not there. When I went to college, my parents were not waking me up on Sunday morning saying it's time for church. And suddenly I had to decide for myself, how am I going to live? And this is exactly what's happened to the disciples. They've had a radical transformative experience, but Jesus is not waking them up in the morning and saying, hey guys, now we're going to Capernaum. Now we're going to heal. Now we're going to teach. Now we're going to do these things. Jesus said, I'm going to communicate with you in a new and a fresh way through the Holy Spirit that is coming. Verse six, then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are are, are you, here's some key words in here, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is a huge key passage because here's what the disciples are doing. Notice right here. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you, are you, are you going to do this? Are you gonna bring the breakthrough that I need? Are you gonna make this radical transformation? Are you going to make these changes? Because the disciples had always had a lack of imagination for the way of Jesus. 
They understood Jesus, but they still believed that the way God was going to restore was he was going to overcome power with power. He was going to become a bully to the bullies. He was going to stand up to Rome, and he was going to overthrow the kingdoms of Rome with his power and with his army angels. That's why the disciples are always saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, like, bring down fire from heaven, and let's just zap these guys. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not who we are. That's not what we do. And I still hear that language from Christians, right? Let's just bring down fire from heaven on the people that we don't agree with. Let's bring down fire from heaven on the people that are different from us. Let's bring down fire from heaven. And I sense Jesus saying, no, 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 no. And the second thing that they're doing is they're saying, you, you do it, Jesus. You do the work. We've watched you for three years. You've done amazing things. You do it. And look at what Jesus does. He, 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 in this beautiful way, flips the script. And he says, no, 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 no. That's not how it's going to work. What's going to happen is you are going to do the work. So what we can do oftentimes, here's what he said. He said, but you will receive power. The Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses. What Jesus is doing is he's handing it back to them and saying, it's not all on me. I need you to do something yourselves. And oftentimes what we can do in our faith is we can get really passionate about an issue. We can get really fired up about something. We can say, Lord, I need you to radically transform Cobb County. But I'm going to sit on my couch and hang out. I might tweet something occasionally. I might pack a backpack. But could you radically do this? I want you to radically change and transform the hearts of my family and the people that I love while I just sit back and hang out. I want you to restore this relationship in my life that's broken. And I want you to fix and repair. But I'm going to be watching Netflix. I was 22 years old. I went to Mexico on my first uh, basketball missions trip. And we were playing basketball. And then after we'd play, we'd share our faith and talk to the people about God and um, and, and we went to these orphanages day after day. And this little boy named Mario was there. I've got a picture of him that sat on my desk for about 15 years. A little boy named Mario every single day. And for some reason, I, I was like a 22-year-old kid who had never held a baby, never changed a diaper, never taken care of it. I, don't, I didn't know if I knew how to hold a child. Uh, and this kid just kept running and jumping into my arms every single day. And he would attach himself to me all day every day. And at 22 years old, I remember praying, Lord, would you do something for Mario? Would you radically transform his life? Would you bring a family to adopt him? Would you do something? I don't know what happened to Mario. God probably answered that prayer. I hope he did. I went to Africa Went to Kenya, I was praying with a group of teen and we were just kind of walking down the street praying for different people. And, and one of the men on my team was a guy that I had been discipling for years and we had been coaching the other leaders. There was a bunch of young people and how to pray and how do we meet people and how do we talk to them about Jesus and what does this look like? And so he said, I, I wandered upon a group of like college students from our group and, and they met this guy who was homeless and poor hanging down the street. And the man said to him, I need shoes. Will you pray that I get shoes? And so my friend said they were just all praying for like, Lord, send shoes. And he said, I walked up and was like, what size do you wear? And the guy said, 10 and a half. He's like, have my shoes. 
right? There's a, there's a way that we operate sometimes where it's like we pray that God would do something, but we're completely unwilling to do anything ourselves. And so what the disciples are learning is what's God's role and what's my role. How do I act and how does God act? And Jesus is saying, you are gonna be the ones. You're gonna receive the power. You're gonna go. You're gonna receive the spirit. You're gonna be the carriers of my mission. This is what the church does. We carry the mission out. So the journey is not a journey of, of, of just sitting back. It's a journey of waiting and going. Waiting and going, waiting and going. So I wanna talk about this for a minute because here's, what's, here's what often happens. What often happens is our journey is just a journey of waiting. And so what we're doing is we're abiding, which is a good thing, right? Scripture tells us to abide. It says, apart from me, you will do what? Nothing. And so we abide and we wait for the Lord. The problem is some of us don't wait for God to speak and then go, we wait forever. And so we keep showing up on Sunday mornings, waiting for God to tell us what's next, waiting for God to call us into something else. And we believe that the greatest thing that God's called us to is to show up again next Sunday. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I got much more for you. Don't just wait. Don't just abide. Because what happens there is we hear from God, but we never become what God has called us to. We become hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. So we hear what God is saying. We celebrate, we worship, we sing the songs, but we never actually go out and become. So what happens is we lag behind where the spirit is leading. And the spirit is always out in front of us. And what we want to learn to do as followers of Christ is to walk with the spirit, right? The book of Luke is filled with this phrase, Jesus led by the spirit went over and over again. Jesus, when the spirit spoke to him. So Jesus would retreat, right? Jesus would abide. Jesus would go to a quiet place to be with the Lord. But when he left that place, he left that place with his mission and with his calling intact, with his identity restored, and he stepped into the things that God had called us to. He didn't just say, let's become this monastic community that hangs out every day in the quiet place and listens to God. He says, let's become a people who listen to God. We, we get our marching orders from him, and then we step into the world. What happens when we're um, not waiting or going is we're just abstaining. Right? I'm not listening to God and I'm not going out and living on mission. So I'm just hanging out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tap out on all this Jesus thing and this is why the American church is full of consumers. Is because what we've decided is more valuable than living on mission for God is experiencing a spiritual high. It's like the church becomes a drug for us that I gotta go and get my fix on Sunday morning so that I can make it through the week. Or the church becomes an individual self-help thing that helps guide me through the week, but we're all about ourselves. We're isolated and insulated, and we're just abstaining from the mission of God. Sometimes what we do, and young people, this is a danger for all of you, I believe, is what we do is we go without waiting. So we're all about doing social justice, doing good works, doing things that seem like good ideas, but we've not heard from God that that's what we're called to. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to achieve, we're trying to accomplish, we're pushing with our own strength to do things that maybe God hasn't called us to. 
So I meet with a lot of young people who come to me and are like, I'm just kind of frustrated with where I am in life. I'm kind of frustrated with my job. I'm kind of frustrated with what's going on. I'm kind of frustrated. And, and I, my question is oftentimes, well, what's God ask you to do? Well, God asked me to do this, but I'm working at Wendy's. <laughs> well, there is frustration there because you're not living into your kingdom calling. You're not living into the thing that you were made for. I absolutely believe this, guys. Every single one of you, every single person in this room, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your story is, no matter what you were doing on Friday night, no matter what was happening in your life, God has created you, made you, equipped you, and put you in a place where you can become a kingdom worker for him. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. The problem is when we just go, what we do is we get out in front of God. We run ahead of him. And so what we want to do is we want to align with God. I want to walk step by step with where he's leading. I want to walk in step with the spirit. I want to wait for him to speak. And then I want to learn to obey. Jesus said, you will know the voice of your shepherd. And then you'll obey. That's the greatest thing I want to teach my kids. Is that they would know the voice of God and they would know what it looks like to obey when God speaks. So here's the challenge for us. We've got a bunch of people all over the place who are just waiting. We're waiting for God to speak. We're waiting, expecting God to do the work. We're waiting and we're saying, God, I need you to do this. But we're unwilling to step into anything ourselves. We've got a huge group of people who are out here running around and we're exhausted and we're tired and we're pressed in. And you're like, I keep trying to do these things. I keep living into these missions. I, I went on that missions trip and I, I helped at the homeless shelter and I did this and I did this and I did this. But we're not listening to God to discern where he's calling us to go. And so we're frustrated and we're tired and we're operating in our own strength without the power of the Holy Spirit because it's not what the Spirit's called us to do. And so the journey of Acts, everybody be with me for a minute. The journey of Acts is how do we do this as a community? How do we listen to where God is leading? And how do we co-discern where he's leading us together? And how do we not say that job belongs to just a few people, but we say that job belongs to the whole church? That's all of our job. That's all of our journey. That's where we're headed. And that's what's next. So here, here's what we have to understand. Oftentimes what we want is we want God to work. But God isn't looking for, simply looking for people to change. He's looking for change agents. He's not just waiting for us to say, God, would you as like this benevolent dictator zap me and amazing things happen? And I want you to understand, I believe that God works that way sometimes. Right? Have you all experienced that? Have you had a moment in a community or in a church where God just did something that was unexpected, where God just showed up and incredible things happened and it was amazing? But more often than not, when I read the scripture, what I see is God sees a need and he sends somebody. Moses, there are slaves in Egypt, so I'm sending you. You go. The disciples are saying, you do something. And Jesus says, no, you do something. And so the call of the church is for us to stop just waiting and to go. 
Verse nine, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. This is all very metaphorical. It's very beautiful. And it said, they looked intently at the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white, that always means angels, were standing beside them and they said this, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go. Here's what's happening here. Jesus is gone. And the disciples are staring at the sky saying, we don't know what to do. What's next? I don't know where to go with my life. Do we go back to being fishermen? Do we go back to our old life? Do we go to these places where Jesus taught us? What are we supposed to do? And they're locked into the sky, just stuck there, staring at the sky, and a representative from God shows up and says, stop staring at the sky, go get to work. Jesus has already taught you what to do. He's already told you where to go. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. He said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You've already been given your instructions. And so stop staring at the sky, waiting for God to like kick you in the rear for something amazing to happen and step into the calling that God has for your life. And the message is exactly the same message for us today in Marietta, Georgia. There is a way that we can live where we just stare at the sky and we just say, God, would you do something? Would you bring breakthrough in our community? Would you change our neighborhoods? Would you transform our schools? Would you, would you bring foster kids into homes? Would you place adopted kids into families? Would you do all of these things? But we're not willing to do anything ourselves. And you know what God says when we say that? He says, you have been given the Holy Spirit. You have been given my power and my authority. Stop staring at the sky waiting for me to do something and let's align and let's go get it. That's my heart for the church, guys, is that every single one of us recognize the kingdom dreams that God has placed inside of us. And what we do is we work together to achieve those. I got a lot of dreams for the church. I'm a dreamer. I got all kinds of ideas of things we could do and hopes for the future and plans for what we're living into. But you know what I want the most? Is I wanna be a part of a family that loves one another, that loves this community with sacrificial love, that says if no one else in our community is loving selflessly, then we will. And a community that goes and figures it out on the road. And so we go to each other and we say, Don, I'm doing this thing and I can't figure it out. I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me. I need you to walk with me. We step into it and we say, uh, we, we say, Ophelia, I need you to like pray with me because I'm trying to do this thing and can you pray because I'm gonna go do this ministry thing and I don't know how it's gonna turn out. And then we come back and we say, I tried it and it didn't work and so what do I do now? And we're co-discerning together where God is leading but we don't sit passively afraid and stare at the sky. And so my question for us today, and I know I've gone long, but I haven't been here in a while, so I have permission to. <laughs> my question for us today is where have you been staring at the sky, waiting for God to do something? And God is saying, no, I want you to do something. I want you to step into this. There are so many stories in scripture where when God's people take the first step, 
that's when he shows up. We take the first step into the river and suddenly the waves are parted. We take the first step into the mission and suddenly breakthrough happens. God's goal is to partner with us in the redemption of all things. And that only happens when we're faithful enough to take the first step. So we're gonna do the same thing we do at the end of every service. We're gonna take communion. There's communion stations in the front and in the back and we just come to the table of God together and, and what we've been doing, guys, for the last year is we've been coming to the table together, but we've kind of been doing it individually, All right? So we come to the table, we take our, our bread and our juice, and we kind of just walk back to our seats. What I'd love to see start happening is at the end of service is for there to be kind of a ministry time for us. And for us to gather with people that are in our house churches, for us to gather with people that are a part of our family, uh, to pray with your children, to pray with some teachers, to pray with some friends. We've got people in our church that have needs, that are in need of healing. We have people in our church that are broken and hurting and that are in need of, of, the, of a savior to show up and walk beside them. And so what we do is we gather and we pray together. And so I wanna ask you one thing, don't be weird, right? Everybody, like, don't be weird. But let's use this time to pray with each other. So my vision for the next year is that when we come and take communion, that we grab it with a couple friends and we circle up and we pray for one another. And we say, hey, could you pray for me this week? Because this is what's ahead. I got a big meeting with my boss and I'm terrified about it. Would you pray for me this week? Because I'm having trouble with my youngest kid because she, she's full of trouble. It's theoretical. Uh, could you... you know, but, but we're just gathering together as a family and saying, Lord, we've gathered together here, but we need each other and we need you. And we wanna walk into the things that we're walking into. And so today, as we come to the table, could we gather and could we pray together? And we've got a prayer team that's gonna be in the back, a ministry team that would love to pray with you any week. If you're new, we don't want you to be weirded out by this. You don't have to, you don't have to pray with anybody. You don't have to do anything that you're uncomfortable with. You don't even have to come forward. But if you want to pray with somebody and you want to connect with somebody and you want to figure out what's it like to be a part of our family, our hope is that we become the family of God that's on the mission of God together. That's our greatest hope. And so, Father God, I pray that you would teach us to be family that you teach us to love one another, that you teach us to serve one another, that you teach us to sacrificially lay down what we have so that we can empower each other to become the people that you've called us to be. I pray that we would be known by our love. But I also pray, Father, that you would lead us to your mission. Lord, we want breakthrough. God, I want salvations. I want chains to be broken. I want stories of radical transformation. I wanna see you work in the lives of people. We wanna see the baptismal full. We wanna see you overflowing with joy in this place. And so we ask you, Lord, to do more through us. We ask you to call us out of our complacency and our loneliness and our apathy. And, and, and we ask you to call us to something greater. And our commitment to you is that you will get all the praise and all the glory for anything that happens in these walls and in these doors. So Holy Spirit, come now. Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, breathe. And show us where, we want to, where you want us to go. We wait with eager anticipation for you to show up. And when you do, Lord, we go 
and we listen and we obey. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.